Denise is here this morning, and she doesn't know this, and I didn't think of it until now, but seeing that. Denise, will you come up here, please? Here you are. So. She's wagging her finger at me. <laughs> Let's pray for Denise. Lord, thank you for her. Thank you for what we've just heard and seen. Thank you for your love. Thank you for every broken heart that you want to heal and mend. And thank you for Denise and her willingness to get involved with people whose hearts are just crushed and whose recent past has been so miserable and sad and sick. Continue to use her. Just as I have my arm around her, Lord, you keep your arm around her. And those you want to bring back home We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Denise. So you can applaud this lady one more time. And in so doing, praise the Lord as well. Uh, 22nd of January, we are going down to Washington, D.C., We'll leave this parking lot here and uh, go down and walk, march for life. My wife and I will be on that trip, and I don't know who else from the staff, but I know we're going to be there. And I'm encouraging you to think about, pray about, and even make that decision before you leave here this morning about coming. I don't know if you've ever been a part of any kind of protest any kind of witness, any kind of stand that puts you out there in public and becomes a part of the American process, the American way of having your presence, your feet marching, count for something. But I would encourage you, you can take your kids out of school. You've got my permission. <laughs> and come with them. We brought our children with us, and when uh, our youngest was only a baby, I, she was on my back and walking in perishing cold weather like we've just been through. And she survived it, as did we. So you pray about that. It's a great time. It's a five-hour bus ride together in and a five-hour bus ride back out. So you're hanging out together, too. We actually stop at a McDonald's. I don't know if they still do this, but there's a McDonald's that we hit on the way down and pig out for a bit and uh, come and join us. I've gotten involved in this larger American scene. You hear the way I talk. It's from England, for those of you who don't know me. Born and raised there, educated there, came to know the Lord there. And uh, made a visit to the USA and ended up meeting a very lovely girl out at a Young Life Ranch in Colorado. 
And within about six months, we were married. And I became an American. Not just by marrying her. That wasn't what did it. I had to go down to Pittsburgh, the federal courthouse, disavow myself of any other allegiance to any other sovereignty and commit myself to the United States of America, to the flag of the United States of America, and to this nation. And I did that. And along the way, someone pointed out to me that I need to be addressing the issue of abortion. I was pastoring at another church here in Sewickley. I'd never been into politics. I'd never voted in England at all. It was not my deal. It was not my scene. Whatever politically happened, it just rolled on. I got on with my life. When I started addressing the issue of abortion, I realized that this had become more and more and intensively so a political issue decided in the courts, influenced by the politicians, various presidents along the way, the media and what they have to say, attitudes in the public place, and when you see the millions of women who've had abortions, and therefore the millions of men who got them pregnant... There's only one pregnancy here, here on earth that ever happened without sexual intercourse. And that was the birth of our Lord Jesus. Man's been involved in every one of those pregnancies. So if you've got 150 plus million women, you've got at least 150 plus men. That's, that's a lot of people who've participated in that process by which a life was ended in the womb. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of Denise's. And whoever was the guy who got Denise pregnant, that's a lot of drinking, guilt, tears, sickness and sadness. The good news is that Jesus can change all that. that you can come to Jesus and be forgiven and be made new. And in that being made new, just like Denise, have a new lease on life, a new vision for your life, that you end up touching other people's lives who have been screwed up or are screwed up like you have been. That's big time. Because all of us are screwed up. Just pick your sin. But we're all screwed up and we all need Jesus. So that sets a context in which you can take a bold look at what abortion is and behind that what God created us to be. Because the foundation of who we are as human beings, men and women, young people, 
is how God has made us, created us, and what he has destined us to be. And this passage we're looking at, Psalm 139, and these verses from that psalm, lay it out brilliantly and clearly. So that's what we're going to be looking at. The foundations for who we are as human beings. That your very life is sacred, no matter what you've done to it, no matter where you've been, no matter what people have told you about yourself, no matter what you think about yourself. And most of us, because of Satan and sinfulness and people's sick ideas about what we should be and even our own sick ideas, have got very dulled awareness of who we're meant to be and very enlarged sick views of what we are. So most of us here, one way or another, have struggled with inferiority and that we're just not good enough to make it in life, to be worthy of somebody to love us. It's amazing. Even the most beautiful people can feel really unworthy of anybody's affection. And it goes back to attitudes about ourselves and how we've lived. So that God can put that right is such a big statement and reissue, as it were, a certificate of worthiness and significance to us. So I don't know how you came in here. Some of you may have even sat out in the parking lot for a while wondering whether you should come in. Some of you struggled saying, I don't know if I want to go to church this morning and deal with that. Because you were here last week and you know that this is a season when we talk about life issues, big time issues. But the good news is that you are here. You have heard Denise. You've entered into praise and worship of the living God who loves you. You've sung about amazing grace. So that as you hear what God intends for you and intends for you to be, it sets a context that is redeemable. That is, it doesn't have to carry on the way it's been. So look with me, the first verse of this passage that we're looking at, verse 13 of Psalm 139, is absolutely loaded, and each phrase in that verse is like a theological course for a whole semester, if you went to seminary. For you, this is David, King David, speaking to God, you, God, created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now here's the first great statement that God created us. And the remarkable thing is this, and this really sets a brilliant context for any conversation about who we are. He created us in his image. After his likeness. It was his idea. 
Listen to these words from the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It's God talking to himself. Let us. It's one of the indications right up front that God is more than one persona. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who's he talking about when, who's he talking to when he says, let us? That's another whole issue. I've got to go right by it because that's not what we're talking about. But God mused within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man, humankind, in our image. And so it goes on to say this. So God, this is verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, that sets a pretty high standard for what humanity is. Not just some evolved creature from a monkey someplace, out of some primordial slime someplace billions of years ago. That we have been created by God to have like God-like characteristics and features. Now that is at least one semester in seminary, that statement, that we have self-awareness. You know who you are, even as I'm talking. When kids grow up, I, I grew up. I know what this was to walk around as a kid and think, what am I here for? Where am I headed? What's my life for? To think that through. That's self-awareness. Cattle out there in the field chewing their grass over two or three times aren't saying, what kind of a life is this? <laughs> you mean all I got to do is eat this grass to make milk so that those suckers out there can just have their cornflakes with milk? They don't do that. Self-awareness is huge. What are you laughing at, little girl down there, huh? <laughs> self-awareness is huge. God is self-aware. He's saying, let us make man in our image. He's self-aware. That's why we're self-aware. To say, let us do anything, is self-awareness, is it not? I'm, it's so profound, it's amazing. We've got consciences... Because God is a moral being. Dogs don't have consciences. They may know when they've done wrong and cower and put their tail down between their legs because they're going to get another whipping. But they're not saying, mm, boys, do I feel guilty. They're not even self-aware. Human beings are. God has made us after his image. That's big time. That's the first big step. Because every sin is an assault against who God has made us to be. And it's an indignancy to him who knows what he created us to be. Everything that we ever do wrong that's ungodlike, that's out of character with what God created us to be, that's what we call sin, 
is an indignity to God in the first place. And the conscience we have when we do wrong and know we've done wrong is because God made us for something else other than doing wrong. We're moral beings. So that's the first big statement. And you can see how to spend time with that is a vast discussion. But we have to move on. Look at what it goes on to say. You created my inmost being. Isn't that what it says? You created my inmost being. Being. That is your persona, your soul, the heart of you. Who you are on the inside, you created. Do you know how huge that is? Every single one of us has been created individually, personally, by God. We're not an accident and we're not a freak of nature. So everyone is distinctively different and especially in who we are. Not just what we look like because we've all got a completely different fingerprint. And they can scan your eye and you've got a different kind of cornea print. We are really different. But God has given you a different identity than me. So who you are what your gifts are. We have four daughters, my wife and I. In some respects, you wonder where they came from. But we have one daughter who I know reflects a lot of who I am. And the way she behaves and what she struggles with, I know, I see, I understand absolutely. I know where she gets that from. From me. but ultimately from God who created her. Each person is so distinctive. So you are not just somebody sitting in the crowd here as far as God is concerned. He knows who you are, and he knows who he created you to be. Do you know how big that is? So the best way to find out who you are and where you're going is get to know him, because he designed that. That personal, intimate relationship that Jamie was speaking about and that we've been singing about, that you can have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord himself. That's where you find out what's what and who's who and who you are. Seek his face. Seek what he wants you to be. Let him direct your path. I've got to keep moving here. I can see I'm running out. I've got a clock down here. I'm running out of time. <laughs> he also created our physical being. Same verse. You created my inmost being, that's your persona, who I am, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Physically, you knit me together. If you look at verse 16, that could probably flash up on the screen. Your eye saw my unformed body. When you were an embryo in your mother's womb, God knew you. He was putting you together supernaturally 
though the process is natural. It's amazing. I'm wearing a couple of little feet here on my jacket. These little feet happen to live with this jacket. I thought, oh, that's good. I put that on and came out for worship this morning. You can't see these little feet. But these are baby's feet after only 10 weeks of gestation in the womb. This size. There's a heartbeat after only 30 days. It's amazing. The way God puts that together is extraordinary. And he is in on that deal. Now, he creates everything. But when he created you, he created you after his likeness, after his image, to be like him. That sorts you out from the cows and the flies and the mosquitoes and the stink bugs. He made you to be like him. And that process is this process by which you and I have come to be here. When you look at verse 14, it says we are wonderfully made. I praise you because I am fearfully, that word in our colloquial language would be awesome, and it would be accurate in this case. I praise you because I am fearfully, that is awesomely, and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. I saved an article. This is the first time I've used it, which is amazing to me that that's the case. PBS, Public Broadcasting Service, did a series on the brain, the human brain. And it says here that the baby's brain in the first year of life, may be the most complex organism on earth, wiring itself to form 1,000 trillion connections between brain cells, many more than there are stars in the universe. It actually goes on to say this, that they've researched the brains of babies that were born early, months early. And how that all works. And how those connections are being made. When it says we are fearfully and awesomely made, your brain is, whatever its inadequacies are, and some of you struggle with those inadequacies, your brain is absolutely an amazing deal. That what's said here, those trillions, thousands of trillions of connections, more than all the stars in the universe in your first year, including the putting together of your brain cells and your life in the womb. You are fearfully and awesomely made. When you move on through this text... It's not just that you physically, intellectually, soul-wise, your identity are wonderfully made, but God has a destiny for you. Look at verse 16. 
Not only did your eyes see my unformed body, Lord, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The notion that God has a sense of destiny for you and has a plan for your life. It all connects. It's not that God has a sort of turns you loose and says, go make the best of it you can. He knows who you are. He knows what he's created you for. And as we are given that opportunity to come back to him and surrender our lives to him and have his spirit come and fill us, it goes on to say this, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are God's workmanship, and when it says that, he's not just talking about the, everything we're looking at here, but now our having come to Christ, being made new in Christ, he describes that as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand. So when he, you come to him, and you're born again spiritually, made new... God has a plan for you. He's got a destiny for you. It's not that Jesus up in heaven sort of scratches his head and turns to the Father and said, I died for this one, but I haven't got a clue what to do with her. Have you got any ideas? And the Father says, I haven't a clue. He looks at you and says, I don't have a clue either what to do with this one. So they both looked at the Holy Spirit and said, look, you're the empowerer. What are we going to do with this one? He says, beats me. It's not going to happen. So step by step, can you believe it's God who brought me back to Pittsburgh? And the week I came back last week with that, sub, what do they call that, an Arctic vortex? And I left Florida in the 80s. You better believe God had an idea in getting me back up here. If he said, look, I'm just going to turn down the heat up there for a bit. But I still want you back. I would have still come. But God has unfolded and unwrapped my life in such a way that my wife, and she thinks the same thing about hers, we are in awe, constantly as to what our life is and how it unfolds. Is that you? I remember being a kid, and I want to finish with this thought. When I was a kid, we were raised very, very poor in a beautiful town called Oxford, England, where the university is. And the reason we were poor is my dad committed suicide when I was seven years old. It was during the Second World War. I'm that old. My mother was left with three children, of which I was the oldest at age seven. And as I grew up, So now you know the scene that I was living in, son. My mother married again, and it was miserable, all the way to the divorce courts 20 years later. 
I was asking myself as a lad growing up what my life was for. Why am I going to school? We didn't go to church. We didn't have a Bible. We never prayed as a family. We never said grace. But I knew in my heart, this is amazing, I knew in my heart, and God was already after me in this, that I wanted, was looking for, seeking out a sense of destiny. That my life was going to count for something. As insignificant as I would have appeared to be in a poor family with no dad, in the middle of a war, with the whole nation in chaos, being bombed, sleeping in air raid shelters. I knew that my life was going to count for something. The night I gave my life to Jesus, I knew what it was. Not that I'd be a preacher, but I knew it was going to be significant because I had Jesus in me. It wasn't just now an aching longing out there for significance. I had the root and the cause and the empowerment for that significance in my life. How can you have Jesus in your life and be inconsequential? Every kid here has significance just by virtue of the fact that God created them. We're just talking about the kids in the room right now. But with Jesus in your daughter's heart or your son's heart, God's got a plan for them to use them now. They don't have to wait to grow up and be like you and screw things up for about five or six years in order to get to Jesus and be significant. Now. So you kids know God's got a plan for you right where you are, in school, in your home, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with whatever your skills and abilities are, when you get Jesus in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us this morning. Thank you for the wonder of your creation. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for making us in the first place human with all the attributes of humanity that reflect who you are and why you made us. And now, Lord Jesus, come and fill us with your mercy, your love, your power, and that sense of destiny. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.